The New Testament reading this morning is from Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns round Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Thanks, Dave. Morning, everyone. Do keep that open in front of you. Let me pray as we dive into God's word together. Now, Father God, thank you. You're not a God who stays distant, but you make yourself known to us through your word. So we pray that you would speak to us now, help us to hear your voice, that we would know you better and uh, open our, not only our ears to hear what you have to say, but uh, our hearts and our minds that we would trust and obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story's told of this little boy who's sitting with his church in Dad, and he's looking at a war memorial that's at the front of the church because he's got a bit distracted, as little boys often do in church. His mind has wandered. And he's reading all these names up there, Corporal S. Jones and um, Captain J. Harvey. And so he just he can't understand what that's all about. So he, he whispers to his dad, he goes, what's all those names up there? And his dad whispers back, he goes, those are the names of those who died in the services. 
And the boy, wide-eyed, looked back at his dad and goes, was that the morning or the evening service? And we may well laugh at that or at least um, raise a wry smile. But here in Acts 5, it's no laughing matter, is it? Because here we have the sobering of two people actually in the church dropping dead under God's judgment. And after all we've seen in this book over the last three months about the bold, Holy Spirit-filled spread of the gospel and the growth of the church, this seems like somewhat of a jarring note in this series, doesn't it? Because it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that will do anything but encourage gospel growth. I mean, if we had two people here this morning who were miraculously healed, <laughs> I suspect that many of us would want to go away and tell other people about that, and maybe even invite them back next week, especially if they were sick themselves. But it's hard to imagine yourself saying, hey, we had two people drop dead in church last week. Do you, do you fancy coming along and giving it a try? It doesn't seem like the greatest marketing ploy for the church. Last week, end of chapter 4, we saw well-off members of the fledgling church generously selling property to, to give and provide for poorer Christian brothers and sisters. And you'd think that nothing could be more attractive to the watching world. And yet here, by contrast, Acts chapter 5, we find two professing Christians selling a property, keeping a whole load of money back for themselves, and God exposes and judges them. And we would think that Nothing could be more off-putting to the watching world. But we'd be wrong, wouldn't we? We'd be wrong. As, well, verse 13 starts, none of the rest dare join them. It continues. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. And so we'd also be wrong to think that this is these verses are wholly negative. This is a picture of what the church shouldn't be. Ananias and Sapphira certainly are. But the whole account is actually a picture of what a healthy church looks like. Because as well as God wanting us to be a loving community, God also wants us to be a holy community. That's his plan for the church. A community of people who although still imperfect, are being changed by the work of God's Spirit in them. But granted, this does raise a few questions along the way. So let's get into it by asking those questions to pick away at what's going on here. Firstly, what is Ananias and Sapphira's, what is it that they actually do wrong? What's their crime? Well, just imagine you've been there. Uh, when uh, at the end of chapter 4, that previous chapter, Barnabas, member of the early church, he, he sells a field and he brings the money and he lays it at the apostles' feet so they could distribute it to all those in need. Just imagine you've been at 50 grand, say. He, he just pops that down on the floor to meet the community's need. I mean, I think you'd want to give him a round of applause, wouldn't you? Maybe even a hug. I mean, wow, that's great. What generosity. But then, I don't know, maybe a... A week or two later, Acts 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so maybe it's not quite such a significant amount of money. Maybe it's 30 grand getting deposited on the floor. 
But it's still a decent offering, isn't it? And I, I, I think in some ways we can understand why they might have kept a chunk of it back for themselves. I mean, imagine you see that big, I don't know, bag of gold on the kitchen table. Oh, you know, you'd have a wobble, wouldn't you? No matter what you'd promised. It's costly to be generous. In our eyes, it's understandable. But in God's eyes, it's unacceptable. Because God sees what is in our hearts. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, it was not that Ananias and Sapphira lacked generosity. It's that they were guilty of hypocrisy. Peter's clear, isn't he, in verse 4? They're not obliged to sell the land. They didn't have to do that. And even when they had done it, they're not obliged to give away any of the money, let alone all of it. No, the real issue is that they want the church to think that they've given everything. They want the church to think (laughs) that they are sacrificially generous without having to have the inconvenience of it, of actually doing it. They're trying to convince them that they are something they actually aren't. This wasn't a gift for the church's need. It was a bribe to buy the church's applause. Not the generosity of a Christian fueled by the Spirit. It was the jealousy of their own human nature fueled by Satan. I mean, that's the striking thing here, isn't it? The thing that really jumps out at you. Peter says that what Ananias gives to the church is an offering gift wrapped by Satan. It's dirty money. It's devil money. Because it's not just that Ananias and Sapphira are lying to the church. More than that, they're lying to God. The God who gives everything. More than that, the God who sees everything. He knew exactly what the field was sold for. He knew exactly what was in Ananias and Sapphira's heart. Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So can I say, please don't treat the church as merely a human organization. It's a supernatural community. And there is a battle going on for our hearts and minds within this community. But make no mistake, it's God who's in charge. So we're wasting our time if we're doing Christianity dishonestly. We are wasting our time if we're doing Christian things to please Christian people and not Christ. Because we can feel one another, can't we? I, I, I can get you thinking about how spiritual I am, and you can get me thinking about how spiritual you are. Well, underneath, we're both covering up sin instead of letting God deal with it. But what's the point? What's the point in doing that? Because God sees everything, He knows we can't fool Him. And so can I say as gently as I can, if you're a professing Christian like Ananias and Sapphira, 
and you're caught up in a deception, a double life that maybe nobody else knows about but you and God, then today is the day to come clean with him and to come clean with someone else here who can help you and walk with you in that. Maybe you're a small group leader or a good Christian friend or one of the church staff. Please do not be too ashamed to admit your sin. This church, this church isn't like Instagram where we're filtering perfect pictures of ourselves to prevent, uh, present ourselves as perfect saints. No, it's a hospital for struggling sinners. That's what the church is all about. Falling into sin doesn't make us the next Ananias and Sapphira. But covering up and not being honest and hiding our sin does. God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for honesty. And so can I also gently issue a word of application here, especially for couples? We see here that lying to church or lying in church, it begins at home. Verse 2, Ananias acts here with his wife's knowledge. Well, in verse 9, Peter accuses Sapphira of along with her husband agreeing together to test, to tempt the Spirit of the Lord. And so maybe for you and your partner or spouse, like Ananias and Sapphira, there's a conscious agreement between you that you'll present well in public, but back at home, it's a totally different story. Couples, please go home and discuss this question. Do it today. Don't delay. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Is there any way that in our marriage we're agreeing to lie to the church and the light of God? Has our relationship become a safe and a secret place for sin? Now, that might be a really difficult question to tackle, and it may stir up a hornet's nest, raise all kinds of uncomfortable issues. But remember what we saw back in Acts chapter 3, a number of weeks ago. I hope you were here for that. (laughs) Repentance leads to times of refreshing. Honesty and integrity will bring life to your marriage. It will. The church of God can do nothing for you if you are not honest. But if you are, there is not only forgiveness for what is past, wonderfully, there is forgiveness for what is past, but there is also real hope to change for the future. So step out into that hope today. Okay, here's a Second question for us, why this reaction from the Lord? I mean, surely that's a question we asked as the passage was read. It's, it's pretty strong, isn't it? We can't have missed it. Verse five, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, 
The feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now we can feel distinctly uncomfortable about that, can't we? Maybe it confuses our worst suspicions about God. That he's a vengeful dude in the sky just out to smite people. But remember, this isn't just Ananias and Sapphira lying to the church. They're lying to God. And the God whose people this is has loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them. He has loved them to death. And so there isn't anything he would do to protect his people from sin. There's a joke in my family, or at least a a joke that runs between my wife and myself, that my kids could never enjoy the beauty of swans when they were young, because I told them they needed to be wary of swans, because they can break your arm. They could snap a person's arm in two, I would say. And so they were terrified of swans, as you can imagine, and would run a mile whenever we saw them. But fortunately, there's something in us it's fascinated with these magnificent creatures, and you just can't suppress that or keep it down. So they eventually managed to overcome my scare stories. Yet there was a time, uh, as, as we grew up, that as a family, we were out for a walk at this lake, and um, we came across some swans, and they had some little baby cygnets with them. In fact, we, we pretty much practically stumbled over their nest. And this, I don't know if it was a mama or a dada um, swan, but it, but it reared up and it spread its wings in front of us, made itself big, and it, and it hissed at us in this really menacing way. And I can tell you, we did not mess. We ran out of there quick sharp. You do not mess with an adult swan's kids, or it'll poke your arm out. I poke your arm out, poke your eye out, or break your arm maybe. I, I, I didn't do my told you so dance, but, but I thought it was maybe an opportunity for that. We got out of there. But that is a good thing, that a mummy or a daddy swan would do that, isn't it? That it would protect their vulnerable young. Maybe you feel that, that about your own kids if you're a parent. And in one sense, here in Acts 5, God has been protective like that. That's how he feels about his kids like a mum or a dad, <laughs> trying to protect his children. In this stage of their existence, the church is, is really young. It's, it's, it's still an infant, a baby church, really vulnerable. But it's also beautiful, like baby swans. I mean, what was it that made Ananias and Sapphira want to give away any of their money in the first place? It's not that they actually... I mean, they held back lots of it, but they, they did still give some. Why, why did they want to do that? Well, I think it's because the church has something hugely attractive that you cannot buy and you cannot find anywhere else. That oneness of heart and soul that's, that's mentioned so often in these early chapters of Acts. Their integrity and courage as they stand up for truth in the face of blistering persecution. Uh, the sense of self-sacrificing community that, that is only brought about by the Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't you want to be part of something like that and, uh, and be thought of well in a community like that? As with all things that God makes, 
It's beautiful. But can you imagine how that beauty would be unpicked if Satan's attack wasn't rebuffed? And if nothing happened, and Ananias and Sapphira got away with this, yet here is a father protecting his young and beautiful church from Satan's schemes that would destroy it, and Ananias and Sapphira's lies that would undo it. Here is God the judge acting justly, taking the discipline of his church into his own, own hands. Sin brings death, he says. And mercy is undeserved. Here is God, like a surgeon, acting quickly, intervening, not allowing the cancer of Ananias and Sapphira's actions to spread. Here is God, the teacher, drumming it into his people that neither a foundation of lies nor a ladder of popularity have any place in his church. But in those four things, here is someone who you fear rightly. You stand in awe. You kneel before and bow and you respect him. You do not mock him. God must not, shall not be mocked. It was great power and the grace of God which created beauty in the church. But here it is the great fear of God which creates honesty and integrity in the church. Unlike Ananias' fire, our sin might not be exposed straight away, and our judgment might not arrive straight away. But we must not mistake God's delay as permission, or his patience as indifference to our sin. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, Can I just say, this fear is your friend because it should make you run to him, to run to Jesus and his forgiveness. And if you are a Christian here this morning, can I say, this fear is is also your friend because it will keep you honest to Jesus in here every day about how you live. Which brings us thirdly and finally, I guess, to, to another question that we might well have here, which is, should we expect this to happen today? To which I think the short answer is no, but yes. That's helpful, isn't it? <laughs> Let me explain. Uh, no, in that I've never heard of this sort of thing happening in church. I've, I've heard of all sorts of extraordinary, incredible things happening, miraculous things uh, taking places in churches. But no one has ever told me about a liar dropping dead in church. Why not? Well, if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember me talking about how miracles in the church generally tend to be clustered together when God is doing something new, like giving the law or, or the prophets uh, coming, or Jesus and his church coming into, into being. Uh, so here at the birth of the church, chapters 1 to 15 of the book of Acts, if you read through, are full of signs and wonders. That's the language that keeps getting used, signs and wonders, because God is giving the church miraculous signs to authenticate that the missionary preaching of the apostles, it, it's genuine, it is his word, the word of God. But after Acts 1 to 15, interestingly, in the rest of the book, 
you never get that language again. So it seems that this is a temporary period in the history of the church. So chapter 5, verse 12, again we get many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. But these aren't actually the kinds of signs and wonders or miracles that we tend to see today. Because at the end of that section, what do we read? Verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns round Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I have no doubt that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And I have no doubt he does miracles today. Don't mishear me on that. But I've never heard of anyone, even the man who packs out the O2 arena in his shiny suit with his shiny teeth, that kind of character. I've never even heard a guy like that claim that he could heal everyone without fail. The birth of the early church seems to be actually a little foretaste of eternity. But for now, a unique period in history. And so the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira is a sign and wonder that had an enormous impact on the church back then. But we shouldn't necessarily expect to happen today. To which I think most of us would maybe say, phew, (laughs) that's a relief. But that's not to say that God doesn't want to guard his church against sin by failing to discipline it. As John Stott, that wise old owl of the British church scene, writes in his excellent commentary on this passage, this incident teaches the necessity of church discipline. The church has tended to oscillate in this area between extreme severity, disciplining members for the most trivial offenses, and extreme laxity, exercising no discipline at all, even for serious offenses. It is a good general rule that secret sins should be dealt with secretly, private sins privately, and only public sins publicly. Churches are also wise if they follow the successive stages taught by Jesus. And those stages can be found in Matthew chapter 18, which I'm not going to read now, but you can go away and check. And like all mentions of confronting and exposing sin in the Bible, the aim isn't to embarrass people caught in sin, but to rescue them and bring them back to repentance and joy in the Lord. Folks, let's not be naive. Satan still wants to bring down God's church. And if persecution from outside fails, then he will try to destroy it with falsehood from within. Like he tried to do here in the early church. And I think he's running wild trying to do in our church in Britain at the moment. He has not given up the attempt, whether by by the hypocrisy of those who protect, uh, profess, but do not practice, or by the stubbornness of those who sin, but refuse, who will not repent. And so we need to be vigilant about sin and fight it in our own lives, but also as a church, to guard the flock, to guard ourselves. And in doing so, 
we can be reassured and, and, and joyfully aware that God is with us in this. Like a father, he is with you, protecting you from danger. As a judge, he is with you, prosecuting your enemies. As a surgeon, he is with you, extracting what would infect. As a teacher, he is with you, preparing you to live safe with him and for him. So let's pray. Let's pray that we would understand that and rest in that. Let me pray for us now. Oh, our great God and Father, we we want to praise you and thank you that you love us so much. You love your church so much that you would stop at nothing to guard this beautiful gift. May we share that passion for purity for your people, that we would guard our hearts and minds from the sin that so easily entangles not least the desire to be well thought of by others, which infects our souls and and hinders our witness. Instead, oh Lord, grow in us a, a love for you and others that moves us to humility, honesty, and sacrificial generosity that we would in this life experience the, the wonderfully tight relationships with our brothers and sisters in the church, which we see in these early believers. And we would also know the great hope that we have in you, the glorious future that we have because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you work this in us, we pray, for the glory of your name? Because this, is, this isn't our church. This is yours. Amen.